Welcome to the Calling the Quarters podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. This is Season 2, Episode 2. Today I'm speaking with author and YouTube host, Thor Mooney, who is a witch living in Raleigh, North Carolina. They are the author of Traditional Wicca, A Seeker's Guide, and The Witch's Path, Advancing Your Craft at Every Level. I had a great time talking to Thorne. They were very engaging and really willing to answer my questions. It was a wonderful conversation. I'm going to take you now to my conversation with author Thor Mooney. Welcome to the Calling the Quarters podcast. Today I'm talking to author Thorne Mooney. Thorne, welcome for being on the podcast. Dean, thanks for having me. So first off, I want to just ask, where did you grow up um, in the United States and where, where do you live now? I grew up in the DC area. Um, I'm from a military family, so we were stationed um, in a couple of places when I was little, um, but I was born in Washington, DC, and then spent my earliest childhood years on a base in Germany. And then we came back when I was still in single digit years and settled in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, so I still went to school in the DC area, and that was kind of um, where I was raised, but within a military context, so a little a little out of the ordinary, maybe. Um, and now I am in Raleigh, North Carolina. I went south after college. Now, um, were you, were you what branch of the military was your family in? Army. My mom and my Army. dad. Mm-hmm. I was Air Force, and I was a pagan in the military. Did you ever encounter on the basis oh, wow. that you're on any um, pagans at all? I was too little. That wasn't something okay. that would have been um right. noticeable or right i was really little um but when i got older um i went to school not very far from norfolk virginia and of course norfolk has a big military presence and the first kind of open group that i started hanging out with going to drum circles with that was a big thing at the time um and then some of my first open rituals were with lots of military folks who were affiliated um, right in that area. So I've spent a lot of time around military pagans. Um, yeah. But my experience immediately was very, very secular. Um, I think in the well, DC area in particular. What, what religion were you raised in growing up, if you don't mind my asking? I wasn't. Um, I wasn't raised in any particular tradition. My parents are from both, they're both from different traditions themselves, and neither of them are practitioners of their traditions. Um, I think. If if you backed me into a corner, I would say that I was raised with the United States Army as my religion. <laughs> no, I mean, I think being in the military, I, that really makes a lot of sense to me. If you're not in the military, you might not get it, but it is kind of its own thing. It totally you know? is. It totally is. And I think I think people have stereotypes about what military life is like, or I, I don't think they realize that there can be a lot of difference, too, between the different branches and even between like... Yeah. You know, if you're enlisted or if if you're around officers a lot or kind of where you are, there can be so much diversity. Um, But my background um, is probably about as secular as anybody could get in the United States. Um, So that's that's a blessing and a curse Um, in many ways. Mostly I'm really happy about it. Did your times in Europe have any influence on your later spiritual practice at all? Was there anything there? Even if no outright people, was there anything basically in the culture or anything that kind of kind of maybe made you take a pause and think? No, because I, I would say that I was still too little at that point and we were living on base. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I really don't even think of that time as like time abroad just because you're still on yeah. American soil, you know, um, yeah, and I was yeah. little and I was I was only ever my my parents have pictures of me at like the Berlin Zoo and I have like no memory of any of this. Yeah, (laughs) okay. Now, what was the time in your life where you started thinking of yourself as a witch or was there like an aha moment or was it a gradual buildup or have you always kind of felt that you're a witch? I think that's kind of a funny thing in our community in particular because I feel like most of us have some sort of story about feeling like we were different um, yeah. I think that there's a thing we sort of do, and I don't know if other religious groups do this too. I think my, our community might be one thing just because almost all of us, maybe this isn't true anymore, but almost all of us are essentially converts. We've found the right. tradition later. Um, mm-hmm. That's, I mean, we've, 
been around for so long at this point that there's definitely children who've grown up in the movement. Um, yeah. So with the exception of those folks, but most of us joined at some point, either when we were teenagers or adults, but I think all of us can look back and be like, oh, well, I should have known. And I'm a little bit skeptical about those experiences just because it's very easy to look at your life after you've lived it and see things. Right. And I think sometimes we sort of retell our own narratives. Um, and I think that that's a healthy and normal thing to do, but I'm really hesitant yeah. about it because on the one hand, I began reading about Wicca and paganism right. and learning that these were things like very explicitly when I was probably 13 or 14, somewhere in there. Right. Prior to that, I, of course, had an interest in magic and mythology, but like I was a teacher and all children do, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So I hesitate to ascribe magical significance to what I think are very natural and typical childhood impulses. Right. Um, so I, I kind of officially place myself in like the early teens as being the point where I really began exploring, but it, you know, it wasn't even really until maybe several years after that, where I was really confident using the word, witch. I think I always kind of felt like I was maybe, um, I had to prove that I deserved it or that I'd earned it. Um, right. sometimes I think people come in now and I don't think that folks are always really aware of how impactful the conversations about the validity of solitary practice and initiation yeah. were like, those were so impactful in the nineties and in the first few years of the two thousands. And I wasn't convinced that I was allowed to use the term witch without being initiated into something, anything. <laughs> um, so well, yeah, a lot of really people kind of speak that, that way either. though, don't they? They don't totally people like do. talk about it that way? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that folks so much do anymore. I think that no. we still we still have a lot of anxiety around who gets to call themselves a witch, but I think it's over different stuff now. Yeah, I mean, there's so much like we put a lot of stuff out into the popular culture, and then we talk about a lot of stuff privately as pagans and there's a lot of stuff that people say say and there's a lot of microaggressions along a lot of terms so if you go to a conference or you go to something you can get different attitudes like totally i i've studied um i was in a wiccan coven for five years and i'll use the word wiccan in the bay area and i don't know what it's like in different parts of the united states but in the bay area it's not cool to be Wiccan. So if you say Wiccan, then people will bunch their nose and go, oh, so you didn't really do anything <laughs> for five years. And I'm like, the hell are you talking about? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I once had somebody say something to me. I don't think that they knew that I was a Wiccan. I don't know if they were trying mm -hmm. to be passive aggressive or like <laughs> what it was. Yeah. Um, somebody made some comment um, to me about um, how Oh, well, those Wiccans. Uh, so that means that you don't have a lot of ritual experience, right? You just stand there and watch while uh, other people do the ritual. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. was thinking to myself, you don't know a lot about Wicca, do you? Well, that's nice for you. <laughs> just <laughs> well, what I always get is the default um, thing that a lot of people say is, oh, so you're basically just a gardenarian or you follow Crowley. That's always the thing that people say. And I'm like, really? No, my experience was valid and I had an actual religious, you know, group and we really did perform stuff. I know you want to evaluate it, but, and I don't think they really mean to be that callous, but people can be really easily just because there's so much snobbery. It's funny among. to me too. I, I feel like the, the kind of dismissiveness is different depending, you brought up region. I think it might also be generational where like, if I tell somebody that I'm Wiccan, if they're, if they're in their fifties, or something like that. If they're if they're a little bit older than me, I'm gonna get comments about Gerald Gardner and Alistair Crowley being terrible people, and therefore I must be a terrible person. Right, um, right, but right. if they're if they're younger, if they're like 18 or 19 or like 24, and this is happening on TikTok or something, I'm gonna get, well, you just burn white sage and appropriate hoodoo. <laughs> I'm just like, what? I I don't think anybody actually knows what Wiccans are doing. Yeah, no. It's funny because you see you see so much in like in the Bay Area specifically. I don't know about other areas because I I've talked to people in other parts of the country and I feel 
like in other areas, especially like the South or somewhere like the Midwest, where you feel like you have to kind of work together with other people because you're afraid of, you know, losing your job or your, your, your kids, um, people are tend to be more like not as dismissive because they want to have more solidarity. Whereas in the Bay Area, people can't wait to trash each other's tradition. And it's really weird. I don't really get it. Like, but it's just, it may be just be the Bay Area holistic to the Bay Area in general. But um, I don't know. Yeah. It's funny. But I don't know. It's a side. I mean, I, I, I guess it must be just very much typical of this area, but I feel like there's a I lot of fighting here. I think it might be about choice, like how, like population size. So like, if you feel like I'm thinking about social media and how kind of, yeah. Cause when, when I was a teenager, I mean, going back to like those open drum circles in Norfolk, right? Like yeah. it was never my choice to be at a drum circle, right? Hand drums right. are not my, are not my jam. Okay. Yeah. But there were, there were no choices. If I wanted yeah. to participate in any kind of magical community of any variety at all, that's, what my option was so like if yeah. it had been some kind of like druid grove gathering i would have gone to that too and i think years ago we we took kind of what was available and that's what we did and we were kind of glad of it even if there was stuff yeah. that we didn't like or it wasn't what we were up to but now not only are people witches right they're green witches they're folk witches they're cosmic witches they're whatever yeah, and yeah i think i think that people are so overwhelmed by choice that they're actually reluctant to hang out with different types of practitioners yeah, um, yeah. and people maybe feel like they can be dismissive because maybe there's too much choice i don't know <laughs> most of the time i'm glad for the variety that exists but i do think i do think that we are a little bit more um contained i think we're a little bit more reserved i think we're scared i think people are scared to like yeah yeah interact and blend and i don't know like scared of doing something wrong scared of offending somebody scared of maybe corrupting their own practice somehow or scared i don't know like i feel like we're just kind of scared i agree do you feel like um since you started the practice of, of paganism and to now, do you think there's been a lot of change? What changes have you seen, do you think? Um, I do feel like I've seen a lot of change. I don't know how novel the change is because I do feel like a lot of it is cyclical um, and right. it'll come back around and it's kind of funny what we see coming back around and what doesn't. Um, and I, yeah. I do think that most of the time the change is great. Um, so like I was just talking about folks being you know, scared and anxious when they're coming yeah. on as new practitioners, whether because that's overwhelmed, that people are really afraid of doing things wrong. Um, yeah. And one of the reasons that folks today are afraid is because unlike several decades ago, we're much more conscious now of, for example, the conversations surrounding cultural appropriation, people are deeply invested yes. in social justice. And I think that all of that is fantastic. Um, but it leads to a different kind of anxiety that we weren't see it right like we were we were worried about different stuff 10 years ago 20 years ago and i've certainly heard stories from previous decades the kinds of anxieties that folks have the things people care about um and i think that that's very natural and that's very healthy and i think those are mostly growing pains um so i don't mean to say that i think change is bad because i don't um i see um i think people are less invested in um group work i think people are less invested in initiatory traditions or lineage i think people are more suspicious of covens um and some yeah. of that i think is some of that i think is anxiety around um everybody's very concerned about grooming um that's a very interesting yeah. thing i think that's happening because on the one hand we see it in the news um with these really kind of awful allegations being lobbed by conservatives against the lgbtq plus community and like these are really horrifying but we see it kind of in our midst too where like somebody practices a tradition that we don't like um i mean i've been told that um my tradition fundamentally is about grooming people because we practice ritual sky clad and i think that some people can't conceive of a space where like adults could engage in like consensual you know behaviors that like there's no way that that couldn't be bad right <laughs> um there was a lot of discourse last year about how um, Gardnerian priestesses were all groomed, like Gardner groomed all of his priestesses. And if you're a priestess today, it's just because like a man has like 
convinced you to take your clothes off. And like, I don't think people stop and think how misogynistic that language is, you yeah. know, but it, it comes from a good place in the sense that we don't want to exist in abusive communities. We don't want people to be victimized by abusive groups. But I think that there's kind of a pendulum swing there where our suspicions become dangerous. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I feel like that's a really significant change. It's weird because like, I remember I raised my kid as a, um, a pagan and that was kind of dangerous territory because, you know, of course, everybody that, that people usually tend to be raised in the religion of their parents. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I raised my kid, you know, as a pagan and he went to pagan events. He was in spiral scouts, awesome. you know, kind of that whole thing. But then what I would always get from people like relatives or people at work would say, well, shouldn't you, you shouldn't be raising him as a pagan. That's not fair to him. Right. And I was always kind of like, yeah, they're like, you're groom. It goes back to the grooming thing. Right. Right. Where like now, now you're a groomer because you're parenting your child. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Starhawk, I'm pretty sure it was Starhawk. Starhawk said something I want to say in the spiral dance. Starhawk, if you're listening, which I'm sure you're not because you're cooler than I am. Um, but I'm sorry if I'm <laughs> putting me. words in your mouth. <laughs> but um, I believe it was Starhawk who said something about how important it was to raise children in a spiritual tradition. Um, and I'm not yeah. a parent. Look, it's, no, it's none of my business what folks want to do with their kiddos. But um, right. I cannot imagine like... The, the idea that secularism, first of all, is even a thing, I think, is a question that we need to raise because secularism yeah. in the United States looks an awful lot like Protestantism, just FYI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But like, how, how do you, I don't know, like, how do you erect that kind of wall? I don't know. So it's interesting watching. And the, why would the, you? The, why would right, you? The, the pagan parents in my life. Well, I think it's because that fear that I was talking about. Yeah. People are so afraid. Uh, and like <laughs> y'all everybody like and I say this as a classroom teacher everybody messes up their kids somehow <laughs> you know like you're gonna fail somewhere all right it's gonna be yeah okay, well, it's, but... I mean it's so dumb because like you know when when you're in Sunday school as a kid you know you're you're doing like cutouts of like the ark you know and I don't want to diminish it but like normally you're getting spiritual lessons but they're kind of like you know soft pedaled and I think yeah. it's no different in paganism you know, we had the kids in Spiral Scouts doing some simple things, but we weren't teaching anybody any hard theology. It was kind of like, you know, my son's best memories are like dancing around the main pole, maypole or bonfires and stuff like that. You know, we weren't talking, you know, we weren't sitting him down at five and having heavy theological discourse. Right. Um, but I think that impulse comes from a good place. I think people that kind of experienced, you know, the the scary kind of indoctrination that American evangelicalism can pose yeah, And I think that it's a response to that. And I think yeah. that is admirable. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I, I don't have my own kids. So I'll let y'all make your own choices. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like if I did have a child, they'd probably be in spiral scouts too. Or yeah. You know what I mean? Like, which is really, it's a really cool organization. So mm-hmm. have you ever had any, um, rough experiences because you're a pagan? Like, have you ever had anybody, you know, I don't know, not rent to you or have trouble at work, you know, because um, issues because of that? I haven't had um, a lot of the really nasty stuff that I know folks have experienced. There's a lot of things about my life that protect me, right? I'm from like a really solid middle class background. I went to a nice school. I have nice parents. You know what I mean? There's a lot of privilege yeah. that that shields me. Um, the first time that I, well, the, I was going to tell you a story, but I actually remembered an earlier one. The very first negative experience that I ever had, because I was pagan curious at this point, I was still pretty yeah. wee. Um, I got interested in Wicca through a couple of girlfriends. Um, and it was, you know, this is like on the heels of the craft coming out. It's very normal, right, right. not up to anything banana pants, right? Um, yeah. One of them had a copy of... Um, Cunningham's Guide to the Solitary Practitioner. And then we also had To Ride a Silver Broomstick by Silver Ravenwolf because these are the books that everybody had in 1998 or whatever. And um, my two girlfriends went to um, an Assembly of God school together. They were, it was a private school in the area. Um, I went to a different school in the area. So we only got to see each other on weekends. Um, But anyway, one of the girls 
like we were really into it doing the whole like spooky sleepover type thing you know planning yeah. halloween together coming up with magical names and just kind of being girls um but one of one of the girls her family was very religious and they found her books and those parents called um our parents basically um and ended up i was at a different school so i was immune to the bulk of this but the 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 assembly of god school got involved and i think both of the girls got in trouble i know that there was some kind of like church service where my poor friend like had hands laid upon her right oh my <laughs> the god. blood of jesus so like we were children um so that was the first time that i'd seen religious prejudice um and thankfully i was spared the bulk of it again because i went to a different school and like my parents don't have time for nonsense <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. that wasn't a conversation that they were going to entertain yeah. um and then when i was 16 i was working in retail i'd had a job i got a job when i was old enough to start working um yeah. and there was a person i worked at a music shop and there was yeah. a, another person on the sales floor who wouldn't work with me because I was a witch. Um, and it, this wasn't somebody that I ever like had any kind of deep conversations with, but I wore a pentacle, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I wasn't, it's not like I was like advertising or talking about it, but you see the pentacle, you know what it is. People are scared yeah. of it. Um, and this person who was an adult man, I mean, he had to have been in his mid to late twenties. Um, but he refused to work with me. And I know that he would talk about me behind my back. And I was 16. Oh my God. Um, so like little things like that. Um, but I never was like threatened by, I never had my home threatened or my job threatened or anything like that. I've definitely had people be dismissive of me as an academic in academic spaces. Um, there's definitely kind of, I think an impulse that uh, if you're religious at all, you must be stupid i think that's just kind of an attitude that we have like in higher education um yeah. and i think if you are pagan in particular you must be like extra gullible you know on top of it um yeah so I've yeah i heard that I've a definitely lot had, i've definitely had the reaction of like wait a second you're wiccan but you're you're a smart person <laughs> right it's like well maybe maybe <laughs> actually those things don't correlate the way you think they do now you talked That's about been silver, pretty minor, yeah. Yeah, you talked about Silver Ravenwolf, and you mentioned also um, Starhawk. Who were some of the writers that kind of caught your attention and really kind of got you thinking when you were starting out as a pagan? Silver Ravenwolf was my bread and butter as um, as a newcomer, um, and I think I think some of that was the atmosphere at the time um i think there's something that i think a lot of folks miss in the critiques that float around about the authors and the books and the things that were coming out in the 90s and i i mean to be clear like i think we need to be critical of all of these things that were published okay and i'll be mm -hmm. yeah. i'll be the first in line to be critical of the authors that i adore absolutely yeah sure um, and a lot of a lot of my adoration is also nostalgia okay but i think people can't appreciate how significant silver raven wolf was without the perspective of being a teenage girl in the 90s because silver raven wolf was writing for us in a way that nobody else was um it wasn't just that she had an approachable tone or she was likable or the book was everywhere it's that she spoke directly to young women cunningham didn't do that starhawk didn't do that i found the spiral dance really alienating because i wasn't a mom and i didn't have i wasn't thinking about periods right like right 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 um, so like even a lot of the feminist literature didn't appeal to me as a 13 year old girl because like I wasn't thinking about women's sexuality, right? And the reclamation of my body and patriarchy. I wouldn't be thinking about that for years. Right. Um, but Silver Ravenwolf was literally writing to teenagers and she was doing it during an era, I think kind of in response to conservative evangelicalism on the tail end of the satanic panic. Yeah. So, you know, like as critical as we wanna be, I think that kind of doorway 
just was really special, I think, for the young women in particular, um, teen boys too, but like, I think just teen girls in particular, um, I think it was one of those things where you sort of had to be there. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's, it's funny. I, I like um, Silver Ravenwolf quite a bit, and I think her work is lovely. And I've always been mystified by the absolute vitriol and almost the, it's almost uh, pitchfork torch bearing people kind of attitude people have about her and i remember back in the day when people were talking about her i was there like she had pumpkins in her book with the kills blah 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 and everybody's always saying all this stuff and i was just like so fucking what who cares and i just it almost reminds me of like when people like a band and the band becomes successful and everybody like play a sellout i you know think is that, that there what it is? are well i think that there are very legitimate critiques that we can raise about sure ravenwolf a hundred percent I don't think that that's what's usually happening when people critique her. And the, my, the thing that I kind of fall back on is the same people on TikTok who scream about Silver Ravenwolf, whether or not they are correct, in the same breath will recommend Scott Cunningham or Ray Buckland. Yeah, yeah. And that's what blows my mind because the crimes that Silver Ravenwolf is repeatedly accused of committing exist almost identically in some cases in all of the other texts that are available at the time, but especially like Cunningham, right? Like, so we can have a conversation about cultural appropriation and racism, et cetera, when we're looking at texts by Silver Ravenwolf or reflecting on the nineties. Absolutely. That's a legitimate critique. But then why aren't we talking about Cunningham? Why aren't we talking about like the opening of that book, his, his conflation of shamanism and Wicca? Like, and I'm not saying that these things by themselves are inherently wrong. We need to throw them out. Like, I'm not trying to like, throw everybody in the trash bin. I just feel like there's a certain kind of double standard and a hypocrisy that's happening where I think what's actually happening is folks aren't critically engaging with any text. I think they're bandwagoning a lot of the time. Um, and that to me is unfortunate. Like I feel, I'm all I feel for like for a critical conversation. I feel like it's a lot of it is based on sex because the authors, male, male pagan authors almost never get slapped. Um, any kind of crap but female yeah. pagan authors definitely get scrutinized and they have to be perfect i think that that's true too um and i think that that shows up in a couple of ways i do believe that a lot of the anger that surrounds silver ravenwolf is the result of misogyny mm -hmm. um, which yeah. is again is not to say that we can't be critical of things but if again if we're being critical why aren't we equally critical of scott cunningham yeah. You know, why aren't we equally critical of Ray Buckland or Raven Gramasi? Right, like the list just goes on. Yeah, um, absolutely. And again, I'm not saying we should be throwing any of them under the bus, but like if there is a bus to be had, <laughs> surely more people should be under it. <laughs> um, but um, I see it also in how we recommend books. I tell people, you know, group leaders, you know, content creators I'm friends with online or whatever, like when you're giving out recommended reading lists, you need to really kind of look at who you're recommending because honest, like it's a lot of dudes. It's a lot of dudes. If yeah. you're looking at the list, I mean, I've got a, one of the, there's a traditional witchcraft book that's really popular right now and it's a great book. Okay. Um, but when you flip to the back resources, it's all men and the yeah. citations are all men. And I haven't seen any conversation around that at all. And I just, I don't know why we think that's okay in the same breath that we're talking about like equity. And I don't know, just, you need to be recommending other, other, other types of folks. I think if we really are invested in creating diverse communities, we need to be more self-critical than we are. Yeah. I mean, and it, there's so much criticism heaped upon female pagan authors. And it's just weird because I see, feel like most of the criticisms coming from women pagans and I, it's weird because I feel like in culture whether you're a musician or a, an author or a star women have to be perfect and men can just say oh, I'm going to write a book on paganism and everybody's like okay cool but if a woman does it everybody's like oh well who the fuck are you it just seems to be have like a really weird and it's it's not changed much really over the years it seems to be almost worse in some ways now with social media and influencers you've got to be freaking perfect right I don't, I don't know. I mean, some, sometimes I, I have those kinds of senses. Most of the time, I think it's more that like women are just kind of 
passively regulate relegated into like particular roles so like a woman is allowed to write a beginner book she's not allowed to write a really profound like occult book about like her ritual experience like a woman is allowed to write a wicca 101 she's not allowed to I don't know. I mean, you and you can just just look at the types of books that come out on some of like the boutique occult presses, right? Like they're right. overwhelmingly by men. They're overwhelmingly right. by by whites as men, right? Um, right. And I think that we, I I think that misogyny is alive and well in our communities. I think it can be particularly insidious because I think a lot of folks think that we have solved that problem, um, no. and. I don't know. Like I just, that's, yeah, that's something I think about a lot. Um, I had a, when, when traditional Wicca came out and then when the, the Seekers, what is the other book I wrote? The Witch's Path. Um, when both of those came out, it was the sort of thing where immediately I, um, I wasn't having, I mean, I had lots of opportunities as far as like speaking and whatever with those books. Um, but everybody assumed that they were one-on-one books and I definitely lost our opportunities because people were like, oh, well, it's a Wicca book. Like it's a one-on-one book or like, oh, it's, you know, and I think some of that was wrapped up in my gender. Right. So I think there's this idea that like, oh, it's a woman, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, it's Wicca. It must be really basic. <laughs> yeah. And that's a shame. That's, yeah. That's, uh, not good. Um, I want to talk about your books a little bit, then I want to kind of circle back to the thread talking about you know, what we, what we put on our, our pagan writers. Um, in 2018, you published the book, Traditional Wicca, Seeker's Guide. Now, when you wrote this and started conceptualizing it, what led to you writing this book? What, what did you experience that made you think, you know, I really would like to see this book? And, and how did you think about also, you know, as a secondary question, what, what the content would be in this book? Well, a lot of it, honestly, was just this feeling of absolute insanity that like in, you know, 2017 or whatever, we were still telling people, oh, we'll just go read Gardner. Right. Yeah. Like, that's a yeah. that's a terrible piece of advice. <laughs> and like, yeah, if you want to practice like initiatory Wicca, you should probably read some Gardner. But that's not going to be my first like bullet point to somebody who's brand new. Um and the resources that I saw folks in my communities pointing to over and over again, and th- this is not to knock any of these writers again, but like I'm seeing like everything was published prior to like 1980 and our world is so different. And it was frustrating telling, you know, talking to potential seekers, folks who are interested in exploring these traditions and being like oh well you know read this book but ignore this whole section where suddenly it gets like homophobic and terrible or like oh read this book but only this chapter because the rest is garbage or this book is great except the history is totally fabricated I was really tired of disclaimers with (laughs) with with all of the books yeah um and I wanted something that was concise, that was contemporary, and that kind of existed in an internet age and spoke to the world that we live in now, which meant, you know, conversations about, you know, people being abusive on the internet and conversations about inclusivity and like those kinds of things that you're just not going to find in a book written in 1954. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think people lose the context that Gardner was, you know, he died before I was, I'm 57, and Gardner died mm-hmm. before I was born at the age of 80. So if you think about that, it kind of puts his writings into a little bit of a context. Not that we should just dismiss something because it's older, but definitely was a different time. Well, and like with, in my coven, the folks who I work with directly, like we will read that stuff and we'll have conversations about it. And I think that there's a way to, like I'm in the camp that says you should read anything that you can get your hands on. You should think about all of it critically you should be engaging with ideas. Like, I think all of that stuff is really important. Um, but some things, you know, you, yeah, you have to put it in context. It's helpful to have conversation partners. It's helpful to have counterpoints. Um, and it was just kind of bewildering to me that people were just like, oh, read, you know, read a witch's Bible or read Meaning of Witchcraft. I, these are great books. I'm not saying that they're not, but like, 
you know, if we're talking about a 22 year old who found me on YouTube, I'm not going to tell them <laughs> to read some of these, if they like, I don't know. I just, I wanted something that was easy. I went <laughs> being a little self-interested. Like I wanted something that would kind of spare me lengthy emails <laughs> to see. Yeah. I wanted to just be like, here, read a book, go away. <laughs> Talk to me after you read it. When you pitched it to the publisher, um, were you concerned that that they would let your work be authentic? It was your that was your first book. So, what kind of thoughts did you have going into pitching it to the publisher? Um, I honestly wasn't thinking that far ahead. I showed up, and my whole agenda was just they're going to give me a book deal. <laughs> like, I'm going to like package myself, and I'm going to package this project in a way that is going to look marketable as shit. Like that was my strategy <laughs> I kind of figured I know right like I kind of figured that it I would figure the other stuff out later honestly it never occurred to me to think about um like what sort of control the publisher might have whether or not they might have thoughts about like how I write or what I could put in the book um and I'm glad I didn't have those anxieties going in because there was that there those never bore any kind of fruit. So if I'd had right. those anxieties, they would have been misplaced. Um, but I don't think I even had like the wherewithal <laughs> to be anxious at that point. I think part of me was convinced that they probably wouldn't give me a book deal anyway. So yeah. I needed to work really hard. I showed up. Um, I already had like half the book written. I had, I'd looked up on their website, like what proposals should look like. And I followed everything to the absolute letter, like the type A crazy person I can be. And I showed up and they were like, okay, well, this is interesting, but we're going to need X, Y, and Z. And I just like slapped it on the table. Damn. <laughs> it's like, You no. came prepared. I came prepared. We did You're, not, you have a military background, come. definitely. Oh, so I was like, we did
I want to talk about the burnout issue a little bit because I know what you're talking about viscerally. And when I hear that, I don't think people talk about it enough. Um, can you talk about burnout a little bit in the pagan path? Because I feel like I'm experiencing it right now and I'm kind of hoping to glean something from this conversation. <laughs> I'm going to fix it for you. Thank you. <laughs> so cool. That's what I'm here for. Um, well, first, I think that, yeah, you're right. That's not something that we talk about. Um, and I started experiencing it, I mean, maybe like five or six years into running a group, like maybe even earlier. I don't know. I feel like that's when I like kind of became conscious of it. And I'd spent many years at that point just watching like Pagan Pride Day blow up or my yeah. favorite festival implode or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like my fa my favorite internet forum shut down. Like, yeah, you just see this thing where like you would have community and it would, be, it would be amazing and then it would transform into something terrible. And then without fail, the organizers would like beg for help. Help would not come and then the thing would blow up. Um, yeah. like that that would that's the thing whether it's pagan pride day or a coven or a festival or an internet forum or a website like it would just um and i think it's because pagans are pagans collectively which is a cult of, i think people actually all people doing anything whatever they do um i think that most of us talk a really good game about what we say we want we want community right. we want covens we want events we want whatever nobody actually wants to do that labor which I don't blame them for, to be clear. Yeah. This is not me saying that like you should personally be responsible for building community. Um, but there's a lot of work that goes into those things. And I think that one of the things that triggers the burnout is that we don't prepare people for that. Um, so like in my own kind of initiatory Wiccan spaces, and I see this, I mean, I see this kind of in like a occultism as a whole, if you're part of any kind of like fraternal order, I feel like there's a whole lot of emphasis on like how to talk to gods or how to like pull off an elaborate ritual, like how to, how to do something really impressive as a magician, but nobody trains you for like interpersonal relations or like managing a group project management honestly like one of the reasons why my coven went as smoothly as it did in the first few years was because i initiated somebody with an ma in project design <laughs> management right so like yeah. those are skills though teaching is a skill independent from witchcraft organizing an event is a skill independent from witchcraft and i think witches and pagans kind of jump in and do things regardless of whether or not they have either that training or the support to learn it along the way and then we're all kind of mystified when it's hard, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like, I think sometimes the hardest thing is just that we don't have the support that we need. We don't know where to get it or who to ask. Um, and like, one of the things that was really helpful for me when I realized I was feeling that, and it sounds asinine when I say this, like, oh, just do these things and your life will be fixed. Um, but once I realized that like these were skills that I needed to learn separately and I started treating them that way, it became a little bit more manageable. So like I started learning about like educational design. So like when I would have like coven book clubs or whatever, or like we'd have projects for people in training or whatever, I started thinking about like backward design and goal setting and like what do I actually want people to know how are we going to get from a to b instead of just feeling overwhelmed um, right like picking up individual tools I also got really good at delegating stuff yeah um I think that's a basic one and that's really hard to do um one of it's just my, very hard to do it's very hard yeah. to do one of my friends um, who is a high priestess and amazing, um, she's been really impactful in my own life. Um, something that she told me, and it ended up in, in the witch's path. It was just such amazing advice. I messaged her and I was like, please let me write about this. Thank you, you're a saint. Um, she told me early on to make myself a job description as a high priestess, like just like you were at work at your corporate office or like in the military or whatever, like, here's my job description. Here's what's in my purview. Here's what's not in my purview. And if it's not in your purview, whose purview is it in? So you can refer that person to that person, right? Like, yeah. go ask your CEO about this. This is not mine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, 
and that and you it, you it can't just be you as like the high priestess doing it make everybody in the group do it like what is the job description of the first degree what is the job description of you know the summoner or the whoever the hell you have and whatever your group is organized you know what i mean um that way you know so like i'm a high priestess so my job is to help people to become you know priest priestesses priestesses of this tradition in their own right my job is not to be their mom. It's not to be their therapist. It's not to be a doctor. It's not to be a counselor of any, like those things are not my job. Like that's not what a high priestess is. And when I had that on paper and when everybody had that, it was very easy to go like, no, that's not a thing. And eventually you kind of build up, I'm going to use the word Rolodex. I don't know if anybody knows what that is anymore. You kind of have a Rolodex of like other, (laughs) other resources to point people to. So it became a good practice to like, you know, like this sounds like the job for a good counselor. That is not me, but here's somebody who I have used who is great. Or here's somebody I heard about. Here's a business card, right? Like being able to do stuff like that really alleviated a lot of the pressure on me as a group leader. God, I bet a lot of people had wished you'd somehow written this book 20 years ago. (laughs) I think a lot of communities might still be intact, you know? It's my, it's my brilliant friend's idea. I can't take credit for it, but (laughs) yeah, just, I think there's a, and I get it. There's a phobia, I think in magical spaces as a whole to treat it like work or to kind of corporatify it. I get it. Like we, we want to be decentralized. We want to be independent. We want to be creative. I get it. But if you're operating in a leadership capacity, you have to have some structure of some sort. Otherwise, it will blow up, I promise. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think people um, in communities, especially I think in covens and pagan communities, they always want to do this thing that we're all friends here. We don't have any leaders. We're all kind of a commune doing things together. Bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, as if, if you tried to open a restaurant with all friends that had no leadership, see how long that's going to last. And anything you do, a play a band, anything, Uh, you know, it's not, it's not going to last. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, I think one of the things we need to do is kind of reframe how we think about authority, because I I am totally in support of this idea of like egalitarianism. I mean, I have problems with hierarchy too. Absolutely. Yeah, me too. (laughs) When, When I turned 18, it was so funny. I don't know why my parents thought this was ever on the table, but maybe it's just like a military family thing. You tell me, um, when my parents, sat me down. I was about to turn 18. I started getting like army recruiter stuff in the mail, right? My parents sat me down and they were like, um, we don't know what your plans were for yourself, but we just want you to know that we, we don't want you to join the military. And I was like, I don't know what about me made you think that like I needed to be a soldier, but like, you don't need to be nervous. Cause I already know that I'd be bad at it. <laughs> So like, I'm right there with folks who are suspicious of hierarchy and authority and whatever, but like, I've been in enough rock bands to know that like the the laissez-faire kind of attitude about organization doesn't work. No, At least it doesn't work long-term. And like, there's other models, I think for structure, when I say structure, I don't necessarily mean hierarchy. Okay. But like, you got to have something in place if for no other reason than to support the person who's doing that labor because it is labor. You wrote this, this book came out in 2021 at the beginning of the pandemic, which must have been horrible for a book to come out then. But I think a lot of people probably because of that had a lot of time to read it. You must have gotten a ton of feedback on this so far. What are some of the responses you've been getting? Um, I've gotten a mix. I've gotten mostly really great feedback. Um, I'm like I said, I'm really proud of that book. I think it did its job. Um, the The critical feedback I actually thought was really funny because it's not wrong. Okay, so like if you and to be clear, I don't advocate authors go and like read reviews, but I think we all do it. Sorry, but like yeah. we do, but you shouldn't. Don't Everybody do does it. do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the critical feedback overwhelmingly is basically like this book says that it's advanced, but it's not like this advice is really basic, blah, 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 to which I would reply, correct. Yes. <laughs> That's actually the argument that I'm making is that advanced witchcraft isn't actually a thing. 
it's it's not about like having a longer ritual with harder to pronounce words and more obscure books. I don't think that there's anything that's actually advanced about that, right? Like something being exclusive or expensive or hard to pull off doesn't make it advanced. Um, and it certainly doesn't make it like advancing. Um, I think it's most like that's about ego. Um, the things that actually build success and I think get people off of plateaus, it is little and simple and obvious. And sometimes you just need somebody to say it out loud to you. So that's actually the argument of the book, which is why I say the critique is correct. Um, and you know what, if you read it and you're like, okay, this is all stuff that I'm doing, then you should be moving forward and making progress. And the argument that I would make is if you're not, if you are stuck, then yeah, I think you should go and look closely and ask yourself, am I really doing the thing? You know, like, so yeah, um, mostly it's been really awesome. And like I said, even the critical stuff is, is dead on. Yes, correct. That's what it is. I really loved, I really love your YouTube channel. Um, I think it's very well done. And I love a lot of the topics you talk about. That in and of itself is very different than I think maybe your audience for books in many times because because yeah. YouTube is kind of open in general. It's everywhere. It's all over the world. What has been some of the response you've gotten to your YouTube channel? Um, yeah, I really I really like YouTube a lot. Um, the YouTube. Let me think for a second. My YouTube, the responses that I've gotten have been again, kind of the same vibe where like mostly it's really good. I get a lot of really positive feedback. Um, I don't get a lot of traction on YouTube. Um, so like yesterday I made a, I made a post on Instagram. I was really pleased. I hit 20,000 subscribers on YouTube, um, which is massive for me. Um, but it's taken me 13 years to do that. Um, and there are many witches on YouTube who've only been active for a couple of years who have literally hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, and I'm not trying to knock them, okay? But like, I think that on social media as a whole, and I think it shows up in particular on YouTube, there are some things that are popular and will get you more views. And there are some things that definitely won't. Um, and I have never made the stuff that gets a lot of views. And I think I've done that really consciously. Um, so like, and you can see this if you look at my video feed, like when I make a video called five essential witch books, I know that that video is gonna get thousands of views. Like I know right. it before I make it because those are the kinds of, if I make a video that's like how to do a spell to do X and I like those videos are gonna get views. Um, yeah how to be a witch, that video is gonna get 20,000 views. I know that because YouTube is formulaic. If I make a 20 minute video where I'm thinking about the nature of gods, that video is gonna get 1200 views. And I know that before I make it. Um, so my YouTube channel is me talking about the stuff that I think is interesting, kind of regardless of whether or not it's gonna get traction. Um, yeah. And it's because, again, like not to, like YouTube is a marketing platform and you can you can make a lot of money on YouTube. So like, I don't blame people, especially in this economy. You got to do what yeah. you got to do. Um, but YouTube is only valuable if I can talk about ideas that actually matter to me. And I don't yeah. care how to do spells. I don't care what books people think I should be reading. I don't like I don't care. And I don't watch those videos. <laughs> so. Um, I'm okay with having like the lower, the lower engagement and the lower, um, you know, reach um, just because that's, that's the thing that's interesting to me. And that's why I got on YouTube to begin with was to make friends, make friends, um, swap ideas with other YouTubers. And kind of, I think before, before everything was monetized and before we were all really concerned about like our subscriber base, it was just a bunch of witches talking to each other because we didn't have in-person community. Yeah. I've seen a, yeah, I've seen a lot of that. I, I really like your YouTube channel. I'm going to put a link to it in the bio because I do think it's definitely worthwhile for people to, to look at that because they're going to like it. Um, what's next for you? I'm really excited. Thanks for asking. I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm working on a book right now. Um, it's, it's a book that I've wanted to write for a long time. Again, kind of like 
kind of like traditional Wicca where I just like saw a hole that bothered me personally and I wanted to fill it. Um, I do not have a book that I love to recommend to outsiders. I have no book for my mom. I have no book for, you know, the new person I'm dating or my, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Every, if you go if you go to a Barnes and Noble or your favorite indie or whatever and you look at the metaphysical shop, every single book on that shelf operates on the premise that whoever is reading it aspires to be a witch. Yeah. Um, even um, Scott Cunningham's very famous Truth About Witchcraft Today is actually a Witchcraft 101 book. It's got rituals in it. Yeah. It's right, like it's not actually a book for outsiders. Yeah. Um, and I because I you know, I, I exist in like the mundane working world. I work at a university. I have a corporate job. I'm not totally surrounded by witches, but like I'm vocal as a witch. Um, I get approached by journalists, right? I get approached by scholars. Students ask me like at school about witchcraft and I don't have a book to give them. Like there's lots of really great academic work, but they're not going to like, they're not going to read Hutton yeah. as much as I might right. want them to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do have a hard time reading Hutton. <laughs> right. But I'm also not going to give them the cute hardback with the spells in it. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give my mom that. Are you shitting me? <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, yeah. So I am currently writing, a, I'm writing that book. I'm kind of putting my teacher hat on, my scholar hat on, and my practitioner hat on all at the same time. And I'm trying to write something um, that you could give to a curious colleague or a new girlfriend or whatever, where I'm going to tell them what's up. It's going to be kind of a map, an orientation to the witchcraft, like contemporary witchcraft as a whole, not explicitly witchcraft. So we're going to look at like, what are witches actually doing? What do they believe when they use these words? What do they mean? How do they fit in? Like, is witchcraft the same thing as the new age? Where do they overlap? What is paganism? I'm writing that book. Um, and I'm really pumped about it. It doesn't have a title yet, but I do want everybody to know that the title of the Word document on my computer is Witchcraft for Your Mom. <laughs> That's not what it's going to be called. I, I hope you do. That's freaking awesome. I love that. Because <laughs> here's the funny part is I actually still don't want my mom to read it. I would love it if my mother never read anything I wrote. Thanks, mom. Okay, bye. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be, I'm sure it'll be called something like, you know, witchcraft and wicca a map to a contemporary movement or something very like sterile like that you know what i mean get my keywords in um but yeah we, I we do kind of need stuff like that though we need stuff for the people that aren't in it to read because i think people do try and understand and it's helpful if they do totally and again like this isn't me knocking my genre right but when you go to the bookstore and you pick up any introductory book it assumes you want to be a witch because most yeah. priests, most people do, but like, yeah, if you imagine, you know, imagine talking to a journalist or something and they're like, I noticed that witchcraft is really popular on social media and on Netflix. What's witchcraft? They have two options. They can go to Amazon and they can look up books on witchcraft and they can be overwhelmed. And it's all like spells and, you know, kind of bananas if you're on the outside or they can Google it. And we all know how horrifying Google can be. Yeah. I don't recommend <laughs> like, it. Yeah, I wanted something that would be like very general, kind of apply to a wide variety of traditions and sort of give people an idea of where to go next. And I'm pumped about it. I've decided that each chapter is going to end. They don't do this so much anymore. It used to just be now it used now like everything is in the back of the book, but I want to have resources of, in every single chapter. And I want to have resources from scholars and resources from practitioners themselves. So kind of like what do scholars have to say about this thing? What do witches themselves have to say about this thing? And that way, like, if you're curious about, like, what do witches think about God? You can look at a bunch of different stuff. When witches say that, you know, it's a practice and not a religion, what does that mean? Uh, See, as a librarian, that's so it. needed. I really, I hope you get to do that because that really is very needed. Thorne, I want to thank that's you for being on the podcast. I've really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to you, and I hope we get to have you on again with this yeah. book. <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for your good questions. That was my conversation with author Thor Mooney. We have links to their books 
in the bio, as well as their YouTube channel, which I highly recommend. Until next week, I hope you all have a very blessed week.